0: Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 13, and we're recording on Monday, November 20th. I'm Katie McLean, along with Rincy Abraham, and we're
1: coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Happy early Thanksgiving.
0: Yes, happy early Thanksgiving. Do you have any exciting plans?
1: Um, nothing super exciting. I get Thursday and Friday off from work, and so we have like a family dinner on Thursday night, and then my sister's having some people over on Saturday, and other than that, I want to do nothing. My cousin was trying to convince me to go shopping with him for Black Friday, and I was like, "No, not no. not doing that. I'm over that at this point in my life. I will do all of my shopping either online or not on Black Friday."
0: Yeah. Um I I did the whole midnight or wake up at the crack of dawn to go Black Friday shopping a couple times when I was in college. Yeah. You know, with some high school friends and, you know, we did that and um yeah, the last time I did that there unfortunately was kind of a violent altercation at the mall where I was at and oh. they've part of them all had to go into lockdown. Oh. So yeah, so I, that kind of spoiled it for me a little bit. Um, but then after that, really, like when online shopping kind of really became a thing, I'm like, why would anyone go wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go Black Friday shopping when you can do the get the same deals on your computer?
1: Yeah, I will say that I never, my experiences were never that bad. I did used to do it in like college basically. And I kind of viewed it more as like a fun bonding experience with my friends and family. Like I would go with my cousins and like we still like talk about how we, the times we've gone Black Friday shopping and some of the crazy things that happened. But yeah, it doesn't seem worth it in terms of like the actual quote unquote deals that you're getting. Um, The only thing I'll be paying attention to is like I know Barnes & Noble has like some sort of coupon that they usually do for Black Friday. So I might like just look to see what that is. And then if it's available online, I'll just buy the book online and have it shipped to my house. Um, And then if there's any other sort of like book deals, I might pay attention to that. But other than that, yeah, not interested anymore. I think I'm just too old. I'm too tired. There's nothing (laughs) I want badly enough to want to like deprive myself of sleep and my warm bed.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. I'm like with Black Friday, I it's I love sleep. I hate crowds of people. Yes. And I really hate waking up when I've just like eaten my weight and food the night before. So (laughs) no, I think I think I'm just I'm just gonna do it. Yeah, I think we're just gonna sleep in.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure.
0: All right. Um, Well, real quick before we get into the the meat of the the podcast for this episode for anyone if you uh, if you have not Listen to us before, um, as we said at the top of the show, we do, um, we talk about mysteries and thrillers, whether it's n- news in the publishing world, movie adaptations, um, just timely topics, um, themed lists that kind of thing, um, but we're all about mysteries, suspense, thrillers, true crime. We love all of it, and we're going to talk about all of it. Um, so if that's your jam, then welcome. And if you have any uh, suggestions for uh, for things that you are interested in, or if you'd like recommendations on, or if you heard about some cool news piece that you think would be really interesting to talk about, feel free to hit us up on social media. We'll have our information at the, at the end of the show, but we love... Hearing from people, and we and we love chatting with people who listen, who have listened to the show so far. So, if you have any suggestions or feedback or questions or anything like that, do do feel free to
1: reach out to us. All right. So, to start off the episode, we have a couple of news items we wanted to touch on really quickly. Um, the first one is that um, Mahershala Ali has been. Signed to star and executive produce a crime thriller movie based on A.J. Wolf's book, Burn. I don't believe that this book is actually out yet. Um, So it's kind of exciting to see someone already attached to like the production of this film. So this is one that you can look forward to when it does come out. Uh, Mahershala Ali is probably best well known for being in the movie Moonlight. He won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for that role. Um, He was also in Hidden Figures and a bunch of other things. He's also attached to uh, be in the third season of True Detective on HBO. So this is a contemporary crime thriller and love story set in the ultraviolet world of organized crime, and it follows a Northern California detective who destroyed a cartel while keeping his undercover life secret from his family. Um, So there's a bunch of details in here in terms of like rights and whatnot. But yeah, this is getting a bit of attention because Mahershala Ali is obviously a very hot actor right now. And it is just exciting to see someone like him attached to a crime thriller type movie adaptation because obviously we need more people of color doing these things um so yeah that's just the first item just wanted to mention that so you guys can look forward to that whenever it happens hopefully this actually ends up you know getting made and coming to big screens everywhere so yeah you guys can check out aj wolf's burn uh, when it comes out as a way to uh, anticipate that And then the other one that I wanted to talk about is the one I'm the most excited about, and it's that FX has decided to develop a crime drama based on Attica Locke's newest book, Bluebird, Bluebird, which... Finally, someone is adapting an Attica Locke book. Um, I've felt for years, ever since I've read her, basically, that someone needed to make her books into either a movie or TV show. Uh, So now there will be a TV show. um, They're calling it Highway 59 right now. Um, And it's going to be, again, based on Bluebird, Bluebird, which is just a single novel. But if you read that book, you can very easily see how it could potentially be a series. And even just like an ongoing series that continues on past uh, the point of the book. Um, Attica Locke is signed on to write the series adaptation of her novel, which is also great because, again, she knows the world and she knows the characters. She already has um, experience working on television shows. She's probably best well known for working on Empire. So obviously she has, you know, experience with TV. Um, Obviously, this is coming to FX, which is great because that means it can be a little bit darker and a little bit grittier than it would be on like network television. Um, If you haven't read bluebird, bluebird, yet one you should. Uh, but the story centers around Darren Matthews, who is a black Texas ranger. And he it knows very well that law and order in East Texas sort of goes by its own rules. Um, he tried to get away from Texas. And then for reasons that you find out in the book, he ends up coming back home for his job um, and then he ends up traveling to this small town in Texas where there are two murders that have taken place. One is a black lawyer from Chicago and one is a local white woman and so obviously like the town is stirred up because of these two deaths and so Darren heads over to try to figure out what exactly happened. Um Attica Locke is really great at writing these mysteries that Also delve into race relations and things that are happening, sort of in these southern towns. Attica Locke herself is from Texas, so she just captures that world very, very well. And yeah, this her books are great. If you haven't read them yet, you definitely should. And I'm very excited to see what happens with this TV show.
0: Yeah, I again i i've I've read one of her books. Have not yet read Bluebird. Bluebird. I had it. from the library sitting on my shelf, and I never got a chance to get around to it before I had to take it back. So hopefully I I can get I can get to it a second time around, because the cutting season, which I read earlier this year was magnificent. And her the rest of the rest of her backlist is on my on my to read list as well. So I'm really excited for this as well, even though I haven't read the book yet. Um, And then the last uh, newsy piece It's uh, it's not exactly related to publishing, but as many people probably know, on Sunday the nineteenth, um, Charles Manson died in prison, and most everyone in America or lots of people worldwide know the name Charles Manson and the Manson family. Um, he was uh, he was a part of you know the very uh, notorious killings in the late sixties. And I'm I'm not going to go into those details here, but um, just using this as a um, as a shout out. If you have not yet read the book Helter Skelter by Vincent Buliosi, and you are interested in true crime, this is a really really excellent true crime novel. Well, not novel. Um, but it's written by the prosecutor who uh, prosecuted Charles Manson and the other members of the Manson family who went to trial. And it's very, very journalistic. It, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, legal background and it's a very it's it's v- I don't want to say it's dense in a negative way. There's a lot of information in this book. I mean, it's it's gone through a bunch of different editions, and I feel like it just keeps getting bigger and bigger with each new reprint. But it's it's a door it's a doorstopper. But if you're interested in true crime, um, you really can't go wrong with with reading this book. It is. I mean, when you learn the details of the crimes, they are horrifying, but. You really get an in-depth look at that, at the the crimes and the legal process that ultimately brought the members of the Manson family to trial and ultimately sent them to prison. So, if um, if that sounds interesting, I do uh, I do suggest picking up Helter Skelter. It's a cla- It's a true crime classic, and for a good reason. So you. So yeah, if you hear it, hear people talking about it on the news or you know on other podcasts or something like that you haven't read it yet this might be this might be a timely time to um to pick that up
1: yeah I have to admit I'm actually one of those people who have it hasn't read it yet it's like been on my list forever because you know that's how it goes so (laughs) but yeah I definitely I heard the news over the weekend I was like oh man I really need to read this book
0: yeah it's like I said it's it's dense and but it it reads pretty easily and it's it's fascinating and horrifying the way the way really good true crime is um and it's one of those stories that's almost that's stranger than fiction pretty much but it's not fiction it's true so that so yeah I I, is a very it's a it's a book that that has definitely stuck with me I read it um, several years ago, and it is still stuck with me. So, yeah, def- definitely a good one to pick up if you're interested in true crime. Um, and then with that, we'll move on to our first sponsor for the episode: is Penguin Random House Audio. And when they say, "When there's a crime that can't be solved, listen to the experts." Visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash thriller-series for a thrilling mystery series that you can get hooked on. Um, if you're looking for a very brassy, independent female protagonist, you'll, you'll probably like Stephanie Plum by Janet Ivanovich. If you are interested in an ex-CIA man turned president, you can try the Jack Ryan series by Tom Clancy. Or if you're more into Victorian era detectives, then you can try Clive Cussler's Isaac Bell series. So uh, Penguin Random House Audio has picked uh, six different series to feature on their uh, for these thriller series. There are six different characters that will appeal to any type of listener, from retired cops to bounty hunters to Victorian-era detectives, like we mentioned before. The featured series and characters are Stephanie Plum from Janet Ivanovich, Jack Ryan from Tom Clancy, Isaac Bell from Clive Cussler, Stone Barrington from Stuart Woods, Doc Ford from Randy Wayne White, and Lucas Davenport from John Sanford. Um, these action-packed audiobooks will keep you listening from the first book in the series to the newest release. So if you're looking for something new to sink your, to sink your teeth or your ears into, and you have not yet tried one of these best-selling mystery series, then this is a perfect time to check uh, to check those out. So again, that's from Penguin Random House Audio. And the website, which we'll have in the show notes as well, um, but the website that you can visit is www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com. Yeah,
1: and if anyone's like traveling or anything over, although I guess this episode drops in the middle of Thanksgiving weekend here in the United States, but if you have to travel back to your home or anything along those lines, uh, picking up an audiobook might be a really good idea.
0: Most definitely.
1: All right. Uh, so for the main topic sort of for this episode, we decided that we wanted to talk about Agatha Christie because Murder on the Orient Express, the latest adaptation of an Agatha Christie novel, just came out a couple of weeks ago. And so we figured it was a good time to talk about Agatha Christie. Um, she is a master of and she is probably like one of the well most well-known uh, mystery writers in the world. Her, She's written... I don't even know how many books she's written, Uh, probably more than 60, I think. She has so many different mystery series. She has the Perot series. She has the Miss Marple series. Um, There's the other series with the two guys whose names I can't remember right now at the top of my head. I'm a big fan of hers. I haven't read everything she's written, uh, but I'm slowly making my way through her backlog. And yeah, I really really enjoy her. I think she's a good introduction to mystery series and I feel like she was one of my early introductions to mysteries. Um, I read and then they were none when I was in high school and that was sort of like my first major mystery that I read that wasn't like Nancy Drew or Encyclopedia Brown like it was like sort of like that stepping stone into the next level of mystery books for me Um, and ever since then I've just really really enjoyed her books Uh, obviously people have preferences in terms of like which detective that she writes um, about or like which detective she has her as her protagonist like people have prefer Miss Marple over Perrault and other people prefer Perrault over Miss Marple. Personally I will read either of them or any of them just because I think that Miss Mar- Marple I think that Agatha Christie does a really great job of writing these really interesting and unique um, mysteries and I think that also like you can really see the way that she has been like a foundation in the mystery ser- in the mystery world and how like other writers who write in that sort of like detective style um are often like using her as sort of like an example of a great mystery. And another reason why I love her is because her books are also like relatively short. Um, They're like usually less than 300 pages or a lot of them are less than 300 pages or right around the 300 page mark. And so like I feel like they're, for me, it's like comfort reading. Like I know what I'm getting when I read an Agatha Christie book, Um, even though a lot of times they feature like characters who have died and things like that. There's something very comforting about it I don't know if it's just like the extremely British way that everyone acts in her books uh it's all very like proper and everything just gets taken care of in the end but yeah Agatha Christie is definitely like one of my favorite writers period and she definitely is like one of those authors I can turn I know I can turn to like whenever I'm in sort of like a reading slump or anything like that or I just need something that I know I'll like sort of situation like for the most part Agatha Christie like scratches that itch for me.
0: Yeah, and I, I mentioned on previous shows that um, up until this point, I had never read a full Agatha Christie novel, um, and that has now changed, thankfully. I did read Woo-hoo. Murder on the Orient Express. Woohoo. hoo um, I also tried reading at, um, I know you mentioned that uh, the Murder at the Vicarage was a good one to, if, I try, if I wanted to try a Miss Marple series. For whatever reason... I could not get into Murder at the Vicarage. Mm. I just could. I don't know if it. It was. It was so hard for me to keep track of the characters, and I kept having to go back. Like, wait a minute, who was that again? And it was a lot easier for Murder on the Orient Express. And I don't know. I don't know if it was the writing style or I, if it was the setting. I, I honestly don't know what the difference was, why I had such an easier time with Murder on the Orient Express. Um, but yeah, I finished it last night and yeah, I, I liked it. It's I had to keep reminding myself when I was reading this story that I'm like, okay, no, this right the, the way the story is set up, I'm like, it's not cliché she invented this yeah. pretty much or she was one of the first people to write these stories this way but it's is it so interesting to see all the tropes of the classic the really classic mystery stories when you think about you know the detective gathering evidence and you know deducing stuff just from just from the information given to him by other people and it's it's really Striking how little stuff actually, like how little there is in terms of action. Yeah, in that book, it's. I mean, the characters all get on the Orient Express. The Orient Express gets stuck in a snowdrift. Someone is murdered, and then Poirot, uh, Poirot has to figure out who done it. I mean the chapters the chapter titles it's him going calling in character after character so that he can interview them and get their information and then he like walks up and down the train a couple times and then and then talks again with the with the characters and then thinks for a while and then he has the solution and basically gathers everyone into one room so he can do explain to them how he solved it and it's I mean when you it's interesting to see, A, how much mysteries have evolved since then, but B, also how that that type of story can still be entertaining. And I did not guess the solution. Obviously, I will not give away spoilers if anyone has not read it yet. But I did not guess it, but I felt like if I paid close enough attention, I might have been able to guess it along with Poirot, which may be totally false. I may be overestimating myself, but I think that's also the the mark of a good mystery novel where even if, you know, you you don't feel like you've been cheated at any point with the clues or the information that they give you, the the solution feels fair. And, you you know, you're like, oh, if I had just, you know, if I thought on it a little bit longer, I might have been able to figure it out like Poirot did. Um, so I thought I thought that was that was pretty that was pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. One of the things I really like about Murder on the Orient Express specifically is because it is contained. It's very contained in terms of like, obviously, physically, like they're stuck on this train. So there's very limited number of like people that he can talk to or like information that he can get um but also just like the style just fe- you like you feel like you're contained in that train too because again every chapter is just like a single interview with a cha- another character that Perot is having and so it does again feel like you're trying to solve the mystery along with Perot, and she is like laying down these little details and facts and so like if you sort of like you were saying like you feel like you could be perot in a certain sense which I think makes it uh so relatable and what like so many people really enjoy and yeah that ending I mean I'm the type of person where like when I'm reading mystery books I don't really try to solve the mysteries like I just kind of am not here for the ride sort of situation so I never am like, oh, yeah, I definitely saw that coming. Uh, But this is definitely one where I was like, oh, wow, like you can kind of see it slowly being revealed. So I just recently read it um, and... I think I've read it before, but I know like when I started it this time around, I was like, oh, crap, I don't really remember. And I think it's also partially just because I've read so many um, Agatha Christie's that sometimes I get them a little bit confused about what the ending is. Uh, so when I was re reading it this time around, I could like see little hints here and there and I was like wait, this seems familiar. And so I think even like if you're rereading the book, like you'll see the hints here and there. But I think like she does this thing with Perot where it's always sort of like a grand reveal of like how everything fits together. So yeah, I again just love Agatha Christie books and I just find them, I find the way that she puts together these stories to always just be really, really interesting. It's never quite what you think it's going to be, which is just so great to have in a mystery
0: yeah and it's funny when you when you mention how when you read mystery series or when you read mystery novels that you don't that you, you don't try to figure it out ahead of time you're just there kind of figuring it out along with the detective And it's funny because a lot of times, and I find this usually in psychological suspense where there are so many twists, like that's like the hallmark of a psychological suspense novel. You're going to have at least one twist and possibly more. And so every time a new character is introduced in a psychological suspense novel, I'm sitting there reading going, they did it. They did it. They did it. Like every time a new person comes up, like oh, they probably did it. They did it. They did it. And then, so by the by, the time the book ends uh, and you find out who did do it, it's just by just by you know probability. I have already guessed that that person has done it, but that's because I suspect everyone in the book. But um, with the Agatha Christie novel, I didn't. Um, I didn't feel the urge every time they brought on a character. To say, oh, they did it, they did it, or whatever, um, because I think because I knew that, you know, with the psychological suspense novels, they're trying to, the they're trying to really surprise you, like with with a twist or something that you didn't see coming, and so I'm, you know, like expecting it. Whereas the mystery is just it's more straightforward. It's like, and you have these red herrings, you know, these these clues that are supposed to that are meant to lead you down, down different paths of inquiry or, you know, uh, these clues that ultimately lead nowhere. And so I'm kind of expecting that. So I'm like, I don't know. It's, it was just a different reading experience for me where I didn't, I didn't feel the need to, to just kind of go through and just suspect every, and just suspect every character. So, um, I, that was a different reading experience for me and I I liked it.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think that's why I like Agatha Christie books so much and why I consider it like comfort reading or, you know, something I can constantly turn to is because it has that style to it. Um, I know it's not going to be. Because, like, even with psychological thrillers and all of these different modern mysteries, uh, it's very easy to get disappointed in them because they're trying so hard to impress you that sometimes they end up just not impressing you. And I think there's something to, like, the simplicity of an Agatha Christie book. I'm saying simplicity in air quotes because they aren't really that simple. Uh, But the perceived simplicity of the mysteries is really appealing and really nice sometimes. Um, But yeah, so you haven't seen the movie yet. Is that correct?
0: Not yet. Yeah, I was I was intending to and then schedule got a little crazy. And so I didn't get a chance to see it yet. But I know you did.
1: Yeah, I saw it opening weekend, partially just because it came out on like my birthday weekend. And so I basically told all my friends and I was like, hey, so for my birthday, we're going to see this movie. (laughs) Um, And it was really fun. It's not the best movie ever. And I've basically been telling everyone, like, it's a really fun movie, but you don't necessarily... It's not one I would tell people to, like, rush out and see immediately. Like, when it's out on DVD, definitely check it out because it's fun. Um, I enjoyed it it's definitely not as good as the book because I think that they rushed the reveals a little bit again no spoilers for anything Uh, but obviously in the book like you slowly see the details of everyone's life get revealed and you get to see like how everything went down Um, and they do the same thing like everything basically goes the same way except they like cut a couple of things in order to you know make time for it and whatnot Um, so they end up like sort of rushing through the reveal so I found it slightly less satisfying I did sit through the entire movie wondering if they were going to change anything and they make some like minor changes again but overall it's basically the exact same story Uh, so yeah I would say like go watch it if only for Kenneth Branagh's mustache and (laughs) because that thing is insane like i spent because i also knew the mystery i think i spent an inordinate amount of time trying to like stare at his mustache and be like is any of that real or is it all just prosthetics and like i was just like staring at his face being like okay like because you know it's hd in the movie theater so i'm like okay that 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 part definitely looks fake but then this part looks like it could be his real mustache hair but his hair isn't that like literally this was my brain during parts of the movie so yeah (laughs) it's a fun movie i do recommend it and breaking news because i was um on the googles while we were doing this episode apparently they've um has said that they're going to develop another agatha christie from kenneth branagh and it's going to be death on the nile if you watch the film they actually make an allusion to that um at the very end like someone says something to him about there being um murder at the nile so and then like in the theater that i was at everyone who like knows about the Agatha Christie books like sort of laughed Um, so now apparently they've already said that they've hired um, a screenwriter Michael Green to return who wrote Orient Express Um, oh but it says here that Kenneth Branagh has not signed on but he's expected to at least return um, as the director and um, to play Poirot again so if you are an Agatha Christie fan and you like Death on the Nile as well I haven't read that one yet so I will have to make it a point to do that before the next film comes out Oh, my God. (laughs) And just the mustache. The mustache in and of (laughs) itself deserves an Oscar. Let's be real.
0: Oh, my gosh. And now that I have read Murder on the Orient Express and I know the mystery and I know there's not going to be a lot of changes, I would spend the whole movie analyzing the mustache.
1: Like, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's at least there's one scene that's specifically ridiculous. I don't know if it's in the trailer or not. It might be in the trailer. Um where he has like a mustache guard and it's I I, there's no way to describe it but it looks insane and is he he like eating he's sleeping oh it's while he's it's like the scene where they come to get him like when Uh he wakes up in the morning on the train he has like this it's like a plastic guard it kind of looks like a cup to be honest um like a male yeah sports cup uh, like on his face it's it's really ridiculous looking and really funny, so yeah, watch the movie for that alone
0: because <laughs> there is a scene in the book where they're t- I mean they in the beginning they make a couple of references to his to his mustache and then there's like a brief scene where he's trying to eat soup without getting his mustache in it yeah. and I'm like, oh God, I hope they kept that for the movie.
1: They didn't, at least I don't believe so, but they do make jokes, like they make these sort of like offhanded jokes. Like they're not really the main joke that they're making, but it's like sort of like a side comment or you see something happening on the side in terms of his mustache. Um, I feel like, did anyone ever, like I remember on Book Riot back channels, we were talking about someone making a ranking of Perot's mustache. Did anyone ever do that? Because they should have. I
0: don't know. I vaguely remember that. But yeah, this one it's it's like the mustache is going
1: to eat his face like yeah it, I, it, it's really insane and like the thing is is like with other pros no one everyone has a mustache but no one's mustache is this insane like I want to know why Kenneth Branagh has a mustache that big because it's is slightly distracting to be honest as you could tell by the fact that we've been talking about a mustache for like five minutes um <laughs> Yeah, I, he's just, I guess that's just Kenneth Branagh's way of just, you know, putting his own mark on this character who's so iconic.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, okay, we'll go stepping away from the mustache for a second. I mean, um, we can talk about that though, for a while. <laughs> oh boy. Um, but even though I haven't seen the movie yet, I knew some of the casting choices um, and what i liked with the cuz i downloaded the kindle book um to read for this episode and it was actually the movie tie in kindle and at the end of the book they had photos like photo stills from the movie and they're like oh this this person as so and so and i'm like Oh, so it I because I knew some of the actors and actresses in the movie, I was kind of able to go through and be like, you know what? I bet you this person played that character. I bet you this person played that character. Like, I guessed Daisy Ridley's character. I was like, okay, yeah, that's that's definitely true. I d- I guessed Judy Dench's character. Um, <laughs> I guessed uh, Johnny Depp's character. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was gonna say that's you know a whole other story. Yeah. Um, but. <laughs> But I I really, I, I liked kind of, that was kind of a cool little thing at the end of the ebook, because I actually when I finished, I was going to go on IMDB and look through the characters and see if I had matched every if I had matched people up correctly, but they had it at the end of the book. So um, I'm so to me that says, you know, pretty good things about the casting, that they were, that they they cast the people and, you know, made them seem like these characters who were described very clearly in the book. Um, And they each had their own, you know, distinct mannerisms and, you know, appearances and backgrounds that, I mean, a couple of the men got, I got a little confused with, like, there there were a couple there are a couple of people uh connected to the character who is murdered that I got that I got confused with. But um but yeah, I I thought I thought that was a cool little little thing at at the end of the at the end of the book. Um so I don't know if they have that in the print version of the movie tie in edition, but if you're into movie tie in editions, it might be something to, to look for. I don't know. But um
1: Yeah, I will say there were a couple of minor character slash casting changes that they made but they actually made changes um to sort of like make the cast more diverse which is actually something that I was happy about um they changed like Penelope Cruz's character um the character that she's playing in the book is named Greta Olson. I think is how you say her name. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the movie, her name is Pilar Estravados. um, And it's a character from a different Perot. Or it's the name of a character from a different Perot story. Um, So they basically wanted to have like Penelope Cruz and a Hispanic character in the movie. So they changed it to make it work. Um, She basically has the same role, but they just changed her name. And then um, Leslie Odom Jr. is in the movie as well. And he they basically combined the character of Colonel Art but Not, um, And they combined it with a doctor um, who in the book. And so they just made him Dr. Art but Not, And he also was a sniper who served in the war and has like that same storyline as well. Um, and I believe there's are like small details that they change in terms of like things with the mystery and the murder that are all like minor details that don't really matter. Uh, But it's this is uh, what I was enjoying was the fact that they made it a point to have it a slightly more diverse cast and they made the changes and they didn't make it like a big deal or anything like that, uh, which proves that, you you know, it's 2017 and you can have a diverse cast in your mystery, even if you are adapting a book that was originally published in like 1934. So, you know, (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So take note, Hollywood. (laughs) I know, for real. Like, we should all know this at this point. Come on now.
0: (sighs) But sadly, we don't. But yeah, there's something else I noticed when they're showing some of the different characters. I'm like... OK, I don't think I was that unobservant to where I completely missed this character for the entirety of the book. So something tells me they made a few changes. So that was actually something I was going to ask, you know, the changes that they made. Did it still fit in with the overall story? And it, it sounds like they did.
1: Yeah, like they were very much like faithful to the book for sure. There's like obviously there's some minor details that they changed Um I, yeah, I, there's a couple of things that like bothered me a little bit, which I don't think I can actually discuss because I think it might spoil things. But there's a couple of changes that they made to Perot to make him, at least to me, it seemed like he was more emotional. Like Perot has this thing where he's like very detached, it always seems like. Um, and in the film, it felt like he was a lot more emotional than he felt like in the book, which is probably like my one complaint. If I have a complaint outside of it just being like, a, you know, not as good adaptation because it's never as good as the book. Um, but, yeah, other than that, I would say that they are basically pretty faithful. Um, a lot of the film is literally just uh, Kenneth Branagh as Perot talking to the different characters. And it feels like you're just seeing the chapters come to life, which is great. Very cool. All right. So yeah, if you haven't read Agatha Christie yet, uh, Murder on the Orient Express is a great place to start, in my opinion. Um, I also recommend reading And Then There Were None because that I think is still my favorite of all time. I don't know if it's just because it's my first. So it's always going to have sort of like a special place in my heart. Um, And then you guys, if you have checked out the movie, uh, definitely let us know what you think of it, if you enjoyed it or not. It's getting sort of like middling reviews. Like some people really enjoy it. Some people don't. I think everyone sort of recognizes is that it's kind of just like a fun but not you know mind-blowing necessarily adaptation and then again you guys can look forward to a possible uh death on the nile adaptation in the near future so if you wanted another one to check out after reading murder on the orient express you can move on to that one so you'll be ready for that movie when it comes out probably next year or the year after i would assume so yeah all right um so to Keep going with our episode. We have our second sponsor and it is Book Riot is actually the second sponsor of this episode. Um, Book Riot is doing a $500 gift card giveaway to the bookstore of your choice. Now this giveaway ends on November 26th. So, as this episode drops, you only have a couple of days left to enter. So, hopefully you are listening to this episode immediately and if you haven't entered yet, you definitely should. Uh, like we said, it's a $500 gift card to any bookstore that you would like. So, if you wanted to Amazon, you can get it to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indigo, your local independent bookstore, whatever you want, you can have a $500 gift card to the bookstore and that could basically fund your book shopping for like a year depending on how much money you spend on books. I yeah, uh, it's open internationally as well, so if you don't live in the United States, you can still enter um, to check it out, you can go to bookriot.com/bookstore giveaway. Uh, you can just enter there and good luck to everyone in this contest because I'm quite jealous of all of you cuz I'm not allowed to enter. So <laughs> <laughs> I was I was just sitting
0: here th- thinking about because I know $500 would not fund me for a year
1: that would probably be like three months (laughs) yeah I mean I've gotten a lot better about my book spending so 500 maybe could get me through a year I mean it depends because like I also go shopping at like library book sales and Mm -hmm. you can get like you know 20 like books are like a dollar or two dollars there so that I feel like is part of it so like Book $500 at like an independent bookstore, probably not going to last me a year. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I would probably get it to uh, Half Price Books. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, man, do
0: I love Half Price Books.
1: Oh, man, I went to Half, this is a total tangent, I went to Half Price Books because a couple of weeks ago they had their like, uh, like, it was like 20% off one day and then 30% off in one day. And so I went over the weekend when it was 40% off and I found some good books and I will tell you about some of them. In the later segment when we talk about what we're going to be reading soon. So, yeah, there's a teaser. (laughs) (sighs) All right.
0: Um, So for new releases coming up, um, they are kind of few and far between because we're at the end of the year and the publishers are not really putting out a ton of new books. Um, So we're going to try and find the best mysteries and thrillers that we possibly can from the, from the kind of, uh, shallow pool of titles to choose from <laughs> for the next month or two. But, um, so for this, for this episode, um, shout out to, uh, Rincey and, uh, Jamie, because they both came, uh, found this title. It's not technically a new release but it is getting a digital re-release and it's a lesser known series that people may not be as aware of so we're going to count it as a new release. So the book is called One Red Bastard by Ed Lynn. The print copy was originally published in 2012-ish is our best guess from what we can gather from the publication info. Um I believe it's not the first in the series, it might be the second. Um, But it's set in Chinatown in in New York City in 1976. The main character is named Robert Chow. He's a Vietnam vet and an alcoholic. And he is also the only Chinese-American cop on the Chinatown beat. And he's the only police officer who can speak Cantonese. But he's basically treated like a token. And they bring him out for ribbon cuttings and community events and stuff. Um, So when he's not entirely su- surprised when his superiors are indifferent to his suspicions that an old Chinese woman's death may actually have been a murder. Um, so he's not surprised, but he's angry. And with little more than his own demons to fuel him, Chow must take matters into his own hands. It's, I wouldn't necessarily call this a historical novel, because I'm well, that's that's an entirely d- different discussion, but it takes place in 1976, so it's definitely not extremely contemporary. Um, but it's a kind of a gritty, uh, kind of a no- it almost feels like a noirish type type of story. But um, it has the New York City police force with a really interesting cultural element to it. And they said that this the this series would probably appeal to fans of Michael Connelly. So if that sounds like sounds like your jam and you're looking for a lesser known series to really dive into, if you've read the bestsellers and you want to get something new, um, you can check out One Red Bastard, and that's by Ed Lin. And the digital uh, re-release is being released uh, to tomorrow, because we're not recording on Tuesday. Today's Monday. <laughs> <laughs> so so the digital re-release is November 21st, I believe. Um, and then also being released tomorrow, or has already been released by the time everyone uh, hears the episode, is Poison by Galt Niederhofer. And this book, I actually remember hearing about this when I went to a book expo this year, um, the publisher was talking about this one. So I've kind of had this one on my radar for a while. Um, but it features two characters, Cass and Ryan Connor, and they have achieved what they believe is family nirvana. They have three kids, a cat, a yard, a gorgeous house. They seem to have the modern family dream. And their family, which includes Cass's two children from previous relationships, has just moved to Portland. It's a new start for their new lives. Cass and Ryan have stable, successful careers, and they're happy. But of course, this being a so kind of a psychological suspense novel. This is not to last. Trouble begins almost imperceptibly. There, they start noticing these little small omissions and white lies that happen daily in any in any marriage. And they seem insignificant at first, but they're quickly followed by a series of denials that mushroom and then cyclone in menace. I love that phrase. It's so cool. Um, But with life or death stakes and irreversible consequences, poison is a chilling and irresistible reminder that the closest bond designed to protect and provide for each other and for children can change in a minute. So again, that is Poison by Galt Niederhofer. And that comes out November 21st, 2017. And I have to say, I am a sucker for domestic or marriage thrillers. Um, I sadly am often disappointed by them because they're trying to be Gone Girl and they're not. But this one, I this one sounds interesting. So I will probably uh, end up putting putting a copy of that on my Kindle at some point in the near future.
1: Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, I actually one. When- Small note: Since I was looking up this again, "One Red Bastard" by Ed Lin, and I w- found it on uh, Amazon, and so it looks like that the price that they're releasing it for is two ninety nine. I don't know if that's a pre order special and it'll rise later, but if it sounds really interesting to you and you read on your Kindle uh, or you just use like the Kindle app or something, it, it I think it's only two ninety nine. So yeah, definitely check it out if that one sounded interesting to you
0: yeah I'll have to snap that one up once we're done recording.
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> I literally did that where I found it and I was like, oh, this sounds really good. Oh, it's only two ninety nine so uh, the you know problems with having e-readers right now is that I just buy all of these ebooks um so yeah, I will jump into our currently reading and plan on reading. Um, So I, besides reading Murder on the Orient Express, I recently finished reading Bonfire by Kristen Ritter. uh, And this book was actually really good. Kristen Ritter is an actress. She's probably best well known for playing Jessica Jones in the Netflix series. And I was a little bit skeptical about it just because you know, actors or actresses or people who are not known for being writers. Writing books is always makes me slightly hesitant. Uh, But this was actually really good. I read it over the course of a weekend, like literally in two days uh, because I couldn't put it down. In this story, you're following uh, this girl named... Abby. I believe it's Abby Williams. Um, And she grows up in this small town in Indiana. She ends up moving away and moving to Chicago and becoming an environmental lawyer and an extremely successful uh, environmental lawyer. And so she ends up getting this case uh, related to the major corporation that's back in her old uh, small town. And so she ends up returning to the town for the first time in a very long time to investigate this corporation. And so the story begins sort of as she's returning to town and you see how she interacts with uh, the people that she went to school with, the people that she grew up with, you know, again, it's a small town, so everyone sort of knows everyone. You see her relationship with her father um, who is getting older and getting a little bit sicker and you see how um, everything is sort of like coloring her ideas and her actions in terms of how she's handling this case. Um this corporation is sort of like one of those is sort of like the main job in town so it obviously employs a significant portion of her small town. It also like pays for a lot of stuff like it pays for like the new stadium that the school gets and it pays for like parts of the library expansion and things like that. So the corporation has its fingers in a bunch of different places so it's like obviously difficult for her and the other lawyers who are out there to find people who are willing to talk about what's happening. Um, but that's also not the main mystery. There's also some stuff happening with some of the girls that she went to high school with. Um, there was like a group of popular girls who like picked on Abby when she was in high school and things like that. Abby was not a cool kid. Um, and one of the girls basically pretended like she was sick. Um, and then eventually she ends up, like disappearing like it's just assumed that she runs away um and so abby as she's investigating what's happening with this plant um she starts to wonder whether or not she would that first girl was actually pretending to be sick like was she actually sick and did like the company do something to her to have her you know be quiet basically um and it she also starts to realize that her experiences in high school are also very much coloring, like the way she's investigating this, uh, crime and yeah, stuff just happens. (laughs) Just can't say more than that. Um, so yeah, this book is actually again, really, really good. Um, it does sort of fall in that umbrella of the recent trend of like unreliable female narrators. So if that's your jam, this would probably be a good one for you to pick up. Um, Yeah, I wouldn't say it's like the best book ever. um, But it is really, really good. You can definitely tell that Kristen Ritter is sort of like a first time writer, because there is a little bit of like, greenness to her writing, I would say. Uh, But she definitely has a lot of potential if she decides to write any more mystery novels, I will definitely or thrillers, I will definitely pick them up. Um, I'm pretty sure that she's, she's either shopping this one around, or it's already been picked up. I'm not completely sure. But i Believe that like she wants this to be turned into like a movie or TV show uh, that she stars in because I definitely just imagined her as the main character the whole time. Uh, So yeah, again, that's Bonfire by Kristen Ritter. I definitely recommend picking it up if you haven't already. Um, And then in terms of what I'm currently reading, I'm currently reading this book called The Brain Defense by Kevin Davis, and this is a book about. Um, neuroscience and how neuroscience gets used in courtrooms. So it's not like a straight true crime book, but it sort of has like a crime element to it. Um, and so it basically just talks about the evolution of neuroscience and how like lawyers started realizing that that's a thing that they should take into consideration when they are, you know, defending or prosecuting a case Um and they focus specifically or in this book, they focus on what's considered sort of like the first major uh, break in using neuroscience in a courtroom where it was this man in uh, Manhattan whose uh, wife, he ends up throwing his wife basically out their like 12 story apartment window and um, and like the whole time they're talking about how like something seems off. And so they end up doing an MRI and it turns out he has a giant tumor on his, I think it's his left temporal lobe. It's the part of the brain that basically has to do with like your decision making skills. And so part of what this book is exploring is one, the evolution again of neuroscience, but also how... Um, and why like they started allowing this sort of stuff into courtrooms and how it can be used as a defense. And it also just dis- discusses like the sort of like gray area of like whether or not or like what the line is in terms of like what you can blame on a person, like what was intentional and what you can say was potentially not intentional and could be due to neurological issues. Um it's really interesting. It just came out I think in 2016 so it has relatively new information which is obviously important in these sort of cases because obviously science and law are both constantly evolving. Um but yeah, if you are someone who likes sort of like the more law side of true crime stuff, then this one might be of interest to you and that is The Brain Defense by Kevin Davis. And then in terms of other books I'm going to be reading, like I said earlier on in the episode, I have Thursday and Friday off. So I feel like I want to read all of the books um, <laughs> because, you know, like, why would I want to spend time with my family when I can just read books? <laughs> so when I was at Half Price Books um, a couple of weeks ago, I found The Perplexing Theft of the Jewel in the Crown by Vasim Khan. And this is actually the second book in this series called The Uh, Baba Ganesh agency investigation. The first book is The Unexpected Inheritance of Inspector Chopra, which has been on my list of books to read forever. And so I found the second book and I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure this is a series that you could read without like reading the other ones. Uh, but then I just looked and the Kindle edition is only two ninety nine because of course. So I'm definitely going to be buying that and at least reading the first one. Um, I don't know if I'm going to read both because I usually don't read series like back to back. But yeah, I'm very excited to check this one out. I saw I looked it up and it's described as being a gritty, cozy crime novel, which sounds like might be exactly what I really like because sometimes cozies are like a little bit too sweet for my taste. So the idea of like a greedy, cozy mystery might be like exactly what I like in a cozy. Um, So yeah, these books take place in Mumbai. Um, I don't know too much about it, but it sounds really interesting. So yeah, that's sort of like what I have as my potential next to read after I'm finished with the book I'm currently reading. So again, uh, the first book in the series is called The Unexpected Inheritance of Inspector Chopra by Vaseem Khan, if you are interested in checking the series out.
0: You know, know, it's funny that you mentioned that, because I actually, I picked up um, that book um, earlier this year at Barnes & Noble. It was one of their bargain price books. Um, So I've had that sitting on my shelf for a few months. Um, So I'm glad you mentioned that, and that you mentioned that it's a gritty, cozy, because I'm like, that actually sounds really interesting and it and the series has a baby elephant in it yes it does and all of the covers are really cute and also have elephants on them so I like it yeah I don't know what else you would want in a mystery series other than a baby elephant so um (laughs) maybe maybe that'll be something good that I can I can add to my reading list um so as far for me um I am once again (laughs) I'm still stuck in this reading rut. Um, I have not been reading as quickly as I usually do. And part of that, I blame part of that because since the last episode, I got engaged. And so now I'm all about wedding planning. <laughs> Woohoo, yes, and which is fantastic and exciting. And, but all I want to do is be on Pinterest and stuff planning this whole literary themed wedding. So I have not actually sat down and read and like read for a good chunk of time in a long time. Um I tried uh to finish a book that I mentioned on our last episode, our true crime episode, um, John Wayne Gacy Defending a Monster by Sam Amaranti, and I had gotten about two-thirds of the way through and uh, I had to put it down. I'm not finishing that one. Um, as a, I will not go into details, but as a trigger warning for anyone who's looking to pick this up, there is a very, uh, very off putting, I mean, that's a mild word for it, uh, instance of transphobia. So trigger warning for that. But I got to the point in the book where the author, who is the Um, or who was the defense lawyer for John Wayne Gacy when he was convicted of uh, convicted of multiple murders. And the author describes how he went about cross-examining one of the witnesses for the prosecution, one of the people to last see one of the victims alive, who was a transgender woman. And the way he described it in the book is so just oh god it's it's awful and it's i mean one could one someone may make the argument that well you know this happened in the late 70s which does not excuse anything but the book itself was written in like 2011 and he's still describing it in this very ugh it's it's i it basically it kind of Killed the book for me, and I put it down, and I'm not going to finish reading it. So I'm going to call it finished because I'm finished with it. Like, ugh, I'm not picking it up again. Um, so I'm really hoping to find a better true crime book. Um, but uh, once once I decided I was not reading that one anymore, I picked up The Chalk Man by C.J. Tudor, which is going to be coming out next year. It's a psychological suspense novel, and it's one of those where I think we're we're going to be seeing a lot of these types of stories with. The, you know, there's a group of friends, you know, they're like 11 or 12 years old, they're growing up, they come across a crime, and then that crime has implications in their adult life. And it goes back and forth between the two storylines. Um, that's what we have here with the Chalkman. The main character's name is Eddie. He and his group of friends when they were like in middle school, well, it takes place in England, so they don't exactly have middle school, but you know, that age range. And he... um And he and his friends, they have like this little secret language that they have where they draw chalk men to communicate with each other. And then one day when they're kids, they see a chalk man that's drawn somewhere, but it's drawn by someone else and they follow it and they come across a dismembered body. And then that crime... Has implications in his adult life when he and his friends, his childhood friends, get together again and they realize that they've all received these mysterious chalk person drawings. And they, they each thought it was one of the other people, but then when they realize that they've all gotten one and then one of the, one of his friends ends up murdered, they realize that there is something much more going on here. So it's supposed to be, you know, it's, it's supposed to have, you know, a twist, like all psychological suspense does, but everything I've heard about this book, um, when I've heard it pitched to me by the publishers, it sounds creepy, gritty, um a page turner, which is really what, what I need right now. So, um, I'm about 50 pages into it. I started it earlier today. Um, but I'm hoping to have this one finished by the end of Thanksgiving break and, um, and hopefully I'll find another, another book or two to, to pick up, to pick up in there and get me, get my reading mojo back. Um, but again, that's the Chalkman by CJ Tudor.
1: I realized that this was not a video medium, but I was making such a face when you were talking about that one because, oh, man, that sounds intense. <laughs> For the chalk man? Yeah. Yeah. Already
0: in the first 50 pages, like there's a scene at a fair where a ride basically breaks down, but in a very unexpected, violent way. And you're like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. So um, so it's it's very attention getting and very interesting so far.
1: All right. Um, And that's our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening and for checking us out. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen, and you can find the Red or Dead podcast there and you will see links to all of the news stories that we talked about, as well as links to all of the books that we talked about in this episode. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can discover us and check us out and hopefully they will enjoy us as well. If you want to send us comments, you can actually email us at redordead at bookriot.com um, Those emails are forwarded along to us so if you have any comments or questions or suggestions about future episodes you can definitely send them along there if you want to send us a message that's a little bit longer than usual. Um, otherwise you can find both of us on Twitter I am at RincyA.
0: And I am at KT underscore library lady.
1: And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye.